in architecture, actual building engineering, you get a blueprint. And you now know from that blueprint how to build the building. But with engineering, you never get a blueprint. You get a big book that's like, walk 10 steps, take this board, take nail, hit nail five times, put board over here, turn and walk the other way, grab this other board, and then you're supposed to imagine what the building looks like. That's crazy. You need to be able to see clearly when you're building something. This holds especially true for developing software. Shanae Eleven is the co-founder and CEO of CodeC, and she is helping engineers actually see a visual representation of what they are coding. According to Shanae, this innovation could unlock the door to a great deal of creative development and help developers go faster. Shania, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited to be here. All right, right out the gate, we ask all of our guests to tell us, and you will be treated the same. What is CodeC? Tell us what it is and what does it do? Absolutely. So CodeC is a developer tool, and it helps developers and development teams to visualize their code in order to understand how it works. Um, We actually help with everything from day one onboarding to a code base, all the way up to visualizing code up to merge. So uh, really getting a really deep understanding of how your code works, how it's connected, what it links to in a very, very visual way so that that happens at maximum speed. So one of the benefits or maybe detriments, depending on who you are, of IT visionaries (laughs) is, of course, a lot of our listeners are or have been developers in the past. And certainly most of them, I would say 99% of our listeners can read code in some way or have developed on a project before. Mm -hmm. So when you say visualize code, what does that mean? Because of course, the old way or the way I'm familiar with, as I like to say, is I see, you know, some script lines. It's like a CICD interface. I mean, I've seen like, you know, just people typing in, you know, brackets and, you know, (laughs) whatever the language (laughs) I'm programming in. Is that like, because that's not what it, this is, all right? I am seeing that. Now, of course, we all learn to read that, right. but you're taking it another step further. Tell us what you mean by you're visualizing the code as I develop it or write it. Yeah. So as long as we've engineered things, you know, since punch card days, we've had to do exactly what you said, which is read the code line by line and visualize how the system works in our heads. That's incredibly silly <laughs> because... Every other industry, in my opinion, has summaries, they have plans, they have blueprints, they have specs and plans that you can visualize and get a mental model of how something works before you dive into details. Um, And that's essentially what we're doing. We can visualize your whole code through lines, notes, and dependencies in an automatic graph. So you put our app in your repo, we map out all the nodes and edges and how they're connected. And then that's automatically updated when you push PR, so you don't have to lift a finger. You can add any kind of architectural knowledge on top of that if you choose to. And then we bring that experience into your editor. And then when you're going to write code, we also give that same visual interface to a smaller chunk of the code base, which is your PR or your change, so that you can match your own mental models to how you think the code should work as you're writing it. Um, and then when you go, when it gets time to review that PR, that 
your PR is also visualized and you can hand that off to another team member and share that mental model and share that summary. And then all of that gets merged back in and the cycle starts all over again. So really, um, we have this saying, which is a little silly, but I think it's cute. Uh, (laughs) A picture is worth a thousand lines of code. And so essentially it's mental model sharing, essentially. So when you're describing this, is this actually like your visual? So for example, if I were to use one of the modern website building tools like a WordPress or maybe a uh, a Wix, Squarespace, Shopify, inside those tools, I can write lines of code, click save, theoretically commit it, right? And I can see a live preview of what I've just done. Mm -hmm. And that's one way of visualizing it. Now, another way as you were describing, I'm thinking of, and I'm I'm doing this because I want our audience to kind of the biggest challenge is to bring the audience into like your world, right? Can they see what you're saying? Sure. The other thing that I've seen when you're describing this is like in Excel, like when I type in an Excel formula, there's that helper that will kind of visualize, hey, when you're referencing this, you're talking about this cell over here. And when you're talking about this formula, it starts highlighting things for you to be like, oh, am I making the right calls? Am I doing the right things in my Excel formula? So then I can see that I'm making the right entries and so that my formula will work. Is it now, honestly, when you talk, it sounds like it's both of those things together. But I'd love for, <laughs> I'd love, I'd love for you to explain how it's being visualized for our, for our audience. Uh, yeah, I think it's actually a little bit closer to the Excel model. But if you've ever heard of a dependency graph, it's basically like a super souped up dependency graph that you can, um, that, like if it looks like nodes and edges, that doesn't look like a big ball of junk. <laughs> it, it's yeah. full of interactivity. Um, you can click and drill down into things. You can go directly to the code. You can kind of zoom out. You can expand, collapse. You can do all different types of things like that. So it's really basically like a very, very souped up real-time collaborative dependency graph with all kinds of other additional goodness. <laughs> now, the, my next question is going to be, you know, because I'm because I'm starting to envision this now, and I'm seeing mm-hmm. and I'm imagining Code C working in. Because I remember developing applications with some of my developer friends, mm-hmm. and you know, we'd commit it, and then it, you know, it's you, you never know it's broken until you commit it, right? So once you commit it, it's like, oh, it didn't work. <laughs> so then we would go line by line and try to figure out what happened, right? Mm-hmm. So was that the birth? Is that concept or that process what gave you the idea to do this? Or when, how did you come up with this idea? How did you think like, okay, this has got to be a better way. So make it a lot easier to identify these problems, kind of like what you said before you, like the old school way is like you commit it and then you find out it's wrong. Yeah, absolutely. That's half, half of it. Half. It was much more catastrophic than that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, now you got to tell what was wrong. <laughs> yeah, of course, of course. So um, I'm a, just a naturally visual person. And so basically, I was a senior director of product at Docker. And we were launching this feature that we were basically working on for like six months. Um, And so two days before the launch, we're doing a bug bash. And uh, kind of me and my engineering team are sitting around the table trying to get the feature out the door. And uh, (laughs) there's this bug uh, that comes up. And we're like, okay, no problem. We're going to... But the number of... uh, vulnerabilities on the front ends, it's not actually matching with the number on the back end. And we're like, okay, well, we can't ship this to users. <laughs> like this is, this is mm-hmm. not great. Um, okay. And so um, we start digging around and trying to figure out where the bug is coming from. And we're trying to dig around and figure out like, okay, narrowing it down. Turns out, long story short, coming from a part of the code base that was super high traffic, that was very brittle, but basically touched everything. (laughs) Um, And all of the developers 
that knew about that part of the code base were no longer at Docker. And of course, they didn't need any documentation. Mm. And so there are a lot of obscenities were yelled. Uh, <laughs> and then I was like, I can't believe this is happening again because it's not the first or the second or the third time that that happened to me. It was just the most meaningful, I think. Um, and then uh, my we had, just, we had figured out that it's going to take us a month to read all of this code line by line, which is very much like what you said, and figure out how to make this change without causing catastrophic effects to something else in the code base because it just touched so many things. And the launch was in two days. So we didn't ship the thing. And then Docker ended up having to rebuild the whole thing all over again and wasted probably seven engineers and like six months of time. And yeah. Wait a second. Wait a second. I thought it started off as, hey, it's about 30 days. And then it's, it got to, oh, it's actually the problem is actually worse than we thought. And it went to seven engineers over six months of uh, setback. Well, we had we had spent seven we had seven engineers and six months working on it, mm. and then so they ended up having they ended up rebuilding it again. Wow! Later, uh, wow! Yeah, and that that's not a I've talked to hundreds, if not thousands, of developers. That is, it's not a unique experience. It happens all the time. It happened to me at least four or five times, and because we have the most manual way of understanding our code is to read it line by line, and that just. That's the only way that we have at this point. Mm -hmm. And so when I started digging into like, okay, why do we not understand our code? And why don't we have these summaries of how things work? Um, that's kind of how Codesy was born. It took me a long time to kind of come up with that solution to the problem, but the problem hasn't gone away. <laughs> yeah, the problem yeah. The problem is, <laughs> I mean, I'm not even a seasoned vet. There's definitely plenty of people that have you know, been developing way longer than I have, but that problem that you described is exactly how I believe most companies today solve it, which is they'll go line by line and like fine tooth comb and try to figure out what is the reason for a problem. When you started thinking about the solution, though, you know, you were working at another company. Mm -hmm. What did you do to start building towards a solution? Because it's one thing to think, oh, there's got to be a better way. Of course, there's a whole nother to say, let me do something about it. So clearly you were doing something about it. Give us an idea of how that started. Did you were you originally thinking, "Hey, I want to start my own company," or were you really just trying to solve a problem that you just you felt you had? Actually, I didn't think I was going to start another company. Um, at first, I actually just thought that this would be like a visual training course, like mm -hmm. how do you uh, do something like a like a Udemy or like a learning platform and doing it in a very visual way. And then I, um, I actually was super inspired by this talk um, that a lot of developers have been inspired by, Brett Victor's Inventing on Principle. And then basically I saw that talk. I think it was also inspired the creators of Webflow. And I just kind of burst out into tears <laughs> uh, because <laughs> I was like, that is it. That's the thing. And my question was, well, what if instead of just teaching people to visualize how to learn about code, what if we just visualize the entire code base? And that's where the impetus of CodeC kind of came from. Like, how can we scale and visualize everything that a developer needs to know to feel confident that there are no more unknown unknowns and they can move forward with whatever their task is or whatever their bug is or whatever the feature is. And they can confidently go about their day and not feel like they're walking on eggshells 
or it can bring the entire company down. So this is great. So you get that inspiration and you realize, hey, this is going to be my path. Give us an idea of how much longer after that did you decide, okay, I'm going to start writing this for myself? Because, and then once you start doing that, of course, everyone knows the first time you get put to the test is with that first customer yeah. and how they experience it. That's a usually, yeah. I mean, it could be awesome, but it can also be quite rude in the awakening. Uh, there's, <laughs> you know, there's yeah. definitely, there's a, the old adage in software, of course, is if, if, you know, if you aren't embarrassed by your first version, you ship too late. Absolutely. <laughs> so it, I think it's okay to be embarrassed by the first one. So hopefully. Yeah. <laughs> it was pretty embarrassing. Yeah. Add, <laughs> give us an idea. So now you're breaking ground. You're doing it. Yeah. Give us an idea of how that came about. Yeah. So um, I did what any product person does. I went and just talked to a shoot ton of people um, and asked them questions. And I, you know, asked them about their experiences and asked them about because uh, like how they do this on a day to day basis. What do they do? What would be helpful? A little bit more about their organizations. And then we actually broke off um, a different chunk of this problem to start with. And then uh, we decided to uh, attack the problem from a different angle and bring both of those two chunks together at a later date. But yeah, it was the understanding a code base and visualizing a code base and understanding all of the components of what you need to know to particularly in today's environment of what you need to know to feel confident that you can like ship a new feature or ship an, uh, a new bug fix. Um, there are a lot of things <laughs> you need to know what the engineering flow is. You need to understand what the data flow is. You need to understand context on why someone has done something before. You need to understand a part of the code base that maybe your team doesn't control. There uh, needs to be front-end technologies, back-end technologies, how, like my architecture technologies that you need to understand, cloud architecture. Like There's so many things that you need to know. And depending on the size of your organization, you may be responsible for all of it. You might be responsible for a small chunk of it. You've no idea. And um, so where to start with this massive vision is what we're in the process of really trying to make sure that we nail right now. So give us an idea, you know, like what you just described is absolutely true when companies start beginning. How long before you started working on it the first, like, let's say, wave of testers or UAT or customers, when did they come about and start using the platform? And what was the initial feedback? Yeah, that, that's an excellent question. Um, so I started probably thinking about the problem probably six months and doing a bunch of research uh, before I incorporated to make a company. Mm -hmm. And then that was, uh, that was in December 2019. And then uh, we had probably four or five months of building before uh, we brought on the first user. We needed to build the first part of the technology first. And then I actually still had a full-time job. <laughs> so uh, I technically incorporated in December. I started a new job as VP of product in January. I was working on Coatsy at the same time. We happened to raise money in July of 2020. I was still... VP of product at this other company and CEO of Codesy until September. Um, and then that's when I ended up going Stayed busy. You were staying busy. <laughs> yeah, Grinding. Right, exactly. Um, I've done in my career multiple things at the same time a lot. 
And so it kind of just happened to be that way. Classic product person. You say <laughs> yeah. yes to, you know, you got your core, you've got your core job. And then someone says, hey, I got an idea. Can you help me build this? You're like, yeah. That's right. <laughs> That's right. One of the things that happens when when you get some validation, of course, is funding is a part of it. And but it's more than that, because you guys also got named, you got an accolade back in August of 2021 in that the Forbes Cloud 100 list, it named Code C as one of the 20 rising stars uh, and saw a lot of promise. What were some of like, I guess, the breakthrough feedback loops that you got from developers that gave you the idea like, hey, this is really, this is really on the mark. What do you think, you know, obviously Forbes saw something as well, or they talked to someone who saw something as well. <laughs> you know, that, I think that's the, that's the always exciting part. It's like, if you, if you have a solution to a, a problem, yeah, you know, getting that first person to be like, wow, this is definitively a better way of doing things. I'd love to hear what people started feeling when they, you know, when they start testing this product out. Yeah. So I, I think two things. One is that we all spend on average, the average developer spends about 60% of their time reading and understanding code. 60%? 60%. Like, because until you, um, the point at which you can understand something is when you can actually move forward, mm-hmm. right? So you you can you have enough context and enough information where you can make a plan on actually what to write. So like what to write is actually not the hard part. It's all the stuff before that that's the hard part. <laughs> and all of our SDLC, all of the eight steps in that process starts with build, like writing, like writing code. And so there's this whole other step around planning and, un- and understanding, right? Even though we, so we spend 60% of our time, but all, most of our developer tools start with the writing of code. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so we're just missing this huge section of headaches and pain and struggle. Um, and we just do it because there's just, that's just what we do. <laughs> and there's no better way. <laughs> it's just what we've always done. And I think developers and companies were like, oh, wait a minute, we don't have to do this anymore. <laughs> it's like, we don't have to wear this as a badge of honor. It doesn't help us, be, like it, it doesn't scale and it's time consuming and it's really annoying. I'll give you a perfect example. So in architecture or in actual building engineering, right, you get a blueprint. <laughs> um, and you now know from that blueprint how to build the building. But with engineering, you never get a blueprint. You get a book, big book that's like walk 10 steps, take this board, take nail, hit nail five times, put board over here, turn and walk the other way, grab this other board. And then you're supposed to imagine what the building looks like. Like that, that's crazy. <laughs> and I think because we treat code this way, or we don't have that mental model that we can exchange, that we can, um, you know, share with our colleagues and that is based on the actual code has a source of truth. What we end up doing is we treat code like this big black box and we have all these tools around when like poking the black box, when let us know when the black box gets angry, I need to go do something. But Code C is really meant to just break open that black box and really help you get a visual quick understanding of all of the components. And once you can do that, then lots of other things that we just have natural assumptions about just become irrelevant. And I think that's what they, that's what people are really kind of 
coming onto our platform to test out and try out. You know, it does make sense because I remember when building, whenever I've worked with developers building projects, uh, you know, one of my one of my best friends who's a who's a great developer over at Eventbrite now, he always used to say like, "Well, let me Google that first. And I mean, like, "Hey, can we build this?" Like, "Well, let me Google that first. Yeah. And I was like, "And what happens if you can't find an answer? Like, well, I'm gonna check Stack Overflow, and then I'm gonna check right. uh, GitHub, and I'm gonna talk to some dev friends and community." And then I was like, and then what? It's like, well, if I understand it, maybe I can build it. <laughs> you right. say something along those lines. You know what I mean? That's right. Or you'll hear sayings like, well, we never know how it's going to work until we get in there. Or we never know. like, Correct. Right? And so that's that's people saying, well, we don't know. We, we have to get in there. We have to try some things. And then something we naturally assume that there's some unknown unknown that's going to come up <laughs> and we just don't know. And that's just kind of part of the game, but it doesn't have to be. Yeah. Well, there's no question you're in an industry, you know, everyone that comes on this show is part of tech in some way. We agree universally with every one of our guests that software development's not going anywhere. In fact, every company is going to become a software company or have a software arm. We all agree to that. Mm -hmm. But for yourself, how do you envision, how do you envision Code C evolving? You've already been named, you know, something to watch. People are watching you. Investors got money on you. They're like, hey, Shanae, are you going to get it done for us? Because we believe in your vision. Give us an idea of how you envision making a developer's life even easier. Because this, this mission is worth, certainly worth chasing. Every, if everyone's going to be, if every company is going to need software engineering in some way, then making it happen faster is going to, of course, be a worthwhile investment for everybody. So how do you envision this happening? Or what are you thinking for yourself, how you believe software development will fundamentally change in the next couple of years, maybe due to Code C or any other solutions that are out there? Yeah. So that's an excellent question. I think that if we do our jobs right, we can make things happen that are just, uh, as I mentioned, things that we naturally assume we can't do. Like, can you hire 100 engineers at the same time? Mm -hmm. Well, that's really hard to do because uh, you need a man, a person to help them walk them through the code base, right? It's really hard for a developer to change teams really easily because now they have to get onboarded to a code base. Mm -hmm. um, it's hard. It's harder to hire more junior developers or you know uh, less experienced developers because you have to train them and they need mentorship. If we had a visual tool that we can basically have next to an engineer or an engineer uses, which is basically like an automated pairing, right? To tell you how the code base works or be there to answer your questions or um, have this repository of visualizations of why and how something works. All of those things that weren't possible before now become possible. There are so many parts of the code base that we can visualize. And I think that if we do our jobs right, the things that we want to build we will be able to build because we can just move that much faster. We won't spend 60% of our time understanding our code. Maybe it goes down to 30%. And what do you do when you've got an increase of every engineer with an extra 30% capacity, but they don't have to work any harder, right? I think our world will change if we do our jobs right. I mean, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the big thing that you said, because like, I always think to myself, hey, my mind often gets fixated on things when I think like, wow, that's amazingly beneficial. As my mind just starts thinking about it right away. And I thought and I thought about like, you know, at big companies, you know, 
our our named sponsor, Salesforce. Of course, they are one of their venture arm is also invested in you. So we we will. Right. It's okay to say that. <laughs> but at big companies like that, they rotate. They rotate assignments. Mm-hmm. They rotate jobs. They try not to get anyone stagnant. There's also groups of people that work in parts like I know this was at our last company. The like the less sexy part of dev was the bug team, like the people they, they, they fixed all the bugs. Mm-hmm. They don't really want to do it, but like yeah. they do it because it's part of their rotation. Mm-hmm. And if you can just make it faster so that everyone understands everything faster, you're already putting any company organization at a significant advantage. Everyone wants to go faster. There's no company out there that wants to go slower, uh, you know, or, or take more time. <laughs> and then it, all it's going to take is, you know, if this product is lives to its promise, and developers, we already know this. They change jobs quite often. <laughs> They're in high demand. We already know that. Yep. Any toolkits and tooling that they have that makes them go faster, they're going to bring it with them. So I think it's a worthwhile mission for sure that you're doing. And I'm, and I'm starting to, the more you talk about it, the more I'm seeing it too, because like that is literally the first thing I need. And I'm not as advanced as you by any means, but <laughs> if someone gives me a spreadsheet that's jacked up, what's the first thing I do is I click in the cell and I look, give me the highlights of where, what is this data? Where is it pulling from? Why is it pulling from there? And then are the relative lines around it doing the same things? Mm-hmm. And for you to describe that in code, yeah, that's definitely going to be useful. I mean, even me, who's a not a great developer, but I've had to troubleshoot things, mm-hmm. could re- understand that faster. I mean, if I can understand it, then yeah, that's a winner. <laughs> well, we hope. Well, here's the thing, right? Um, there are lots of other people in the development team that need to understand how and why the code works the way it does. Mm-hmm. Not just the engineers, and because and who don't spend as much time in the code base as engineers do, and so if we can help to have a similar picture that we can all rally around, that if I basically take a, a map, which is a code team map, to my sales leader, and my sales leader is saying, "Why can't we build that thing in?" two weeks, I can just point to all the nodes and point to all the plans that say, here are the hundred things that we actually need to make work. This is why we can't build it in two weeks, right? So, but we, it's in order to describe that in words, you can't hand off that mental model to the sales engineer without a visual picture. And developers don't have time to make that picture manually, right? This is just one example. So once an engineer has that mental model, that can then be extrapolated and summarized for other people in the organization to not only talk about like how to get your engineering job done better, but just communicate a lot faster uh, and not be bottlenecked on engineering. So how did you personally get into tech to begin with and specifically on the development side? Um, yeah, so um, I've always been a, a pretty technical person, though I started coding a bit later. What's uh, really interesting is that you mentioned Excel uh, when I, in my younger days, I started as an analyst, um, a product mm-hmm. analyst. And basically my job was basically to make really complicated spreadsheets for the state of California. <laughs> yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> and then I started um, making Excel macros and that's how I ended up starting to program. Um, I ended up making a web development and social media company. People were just, they're like, you're young. What, what's this Facebook thing? Um, and so I that kind of curtailed into um, custom websites and custom social things. And so uh, I started doing that. 
And then because I basically had an agency and I was also an analyst around 2012, 2013, Google called. And then when Google calls, you you go. Uh, and so I picked up and moved to the Bay and have been here ever since. I was on ads at first, uh, but then about six months in, I transitioned into the developer product organization, which basically changed my entire life and I never left. <laughs> there it is. It starts off as a small curiosity making Excel, Excel sheets, and now you're handing out products and trying to change the way developers write code. <laughs> I'm still doing Excel, so you know you did, you did a lot better than me. You did a lot better than me. I'm still sitting here doing Excel, doing some average ifs. You know what I mean? Not that interesting. Excel is still very hard. <laughs> it's still very complicated. Hey, that is a sticky product. I mean, Microsoft Excel is an unbelievably sticky product. There's competitors in everything, and I don't feel like it has a true competitor. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm with you there. You know, Shania, it was awesome having you on today's episode of IT Visionaries. It was awesome hearing your story, understanding where you come from. And uh, and like you said, that that pain that you describe, anyone who listens to this show has felt that pain. But before you go, it is time for the lightning round. Okay. <laughs> the lightning round is brought to us by Salesforce Platform, the number one cloud platform for digital transformation of every experience. Shania, this is where we ask you questions outside of the world of your work so our audience can get to know you a little better. Are you ready? I'm ready as so I'm ever going to be. <laughs> what do you like to do for fun outside of work? Well, I like to listen to books. I'm a very, I'm a visual person, but I'm also a very audible person. And so I love listening to stories um, just to kind of pull my head, something really compelling. I also run. Um, so I'm training for another race. And uh, I have a dog, so there you go. What? So I'm I'm currently training for a race as well. I'm I'm going for a 10k, which is not that big of a deal, but I'm a bigger person, so it's gonna be it's gonna, I'm gonna, it's gonna run in a bit. What kind of race lengths do you like to run for? So in the past, I've done five and 10ks. I've also done a half marathon um, before. I think this this one. You know, since I, you know, trying to get a company off the ground, we're just going to do uh, in the for Bay Area folks, we're going to do beta breakers in May. Um, and that's a good seven miler, I think, seven, somewhere between seven and nine miles. I don't actually, I keep myself like, oh, it's really nine miles. So if it's less then I'm good. Well, I got, I got to, since you like running, I got to plug my friend's app. That, uh, her name's Julie Wallach. She runs Charge Running, which is what I'm using to, okay. to learn how to run myself. Because I'm not a runner, but it's like an online run tutorial. So give it sure. a, give it a check. We'll do. Uh, you know, it's it's pretty cool for anyone who's trying to train. It sounds like you have more experience running than me. Like, are you competitive? Do you like to see your scores against other people? I'm not. I compete in a lot of other ways, and <laughs> running is not the way that I compete. <laughs> so then, that, then that, maybe that's why I like it so much. But I like I like seeing other people's time, and I'm like, damn it, I gotta get better than that. <laughs> so <laughs> that's what keeps me motivated. Well, I like I do like competing against myself. Um, so like I do like so I actually I use um, Runtastic, and it will kind of give me uh, my pace. Uh, and it will help to be like, oh yeah, you're doing like a this this interval. You're doing like a 12 minute mile or like 10 minute mile. But it's running is very meditative for me. Mm. Like I have so much going on with my body and my form and my breathing and like 
don't get hit by a car, like all those things. It, it's enough to pull me out of work. <laughs> well, Shania, thank you for joining us today on IT Visionaries. Thanks for sharing your love and passion for running, for audiobooks, and of course, for developing code. Some of the tools that you're describing make total sense to me. For anyone who's ever been into software development, if they listen to this episode, they've They've felt that pain, which is, hey, this doesn't work. What do I do about it? Oh, I don't know. Read it line by line. If you can solve that code, you are correct. Probably you're talking about, Shania says 60%. It might be more. Uh, some of my development friends tell me that they all they do is Google things all day long. Yeah, that's, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for joining us today on IT Visionaries. Thank you so much. Thanks so much for having me. Such a pleasure. 